on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. If you can make millions, billions, whatever the number is, whatever your goal is, to me, it doesn't really mean squat if you don't have the free time and you don't have the ability to spend that time with the people around you. It doesn't really matter if you've got five boats and an airplane if you don't have the time or the family around you to enjoy those with. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings. We've got to the king stage, Mike Hellstab. How are you, brother? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, man. Our little, for the listeners here, our time <laughs> that we were just talking off air, we were talking about our three-year-old's both sons literally trying to stab us or wrestle us, or you had mentioned getting hit in the nuts several times. It's just such a real factor when boys turn that age. So I'm excited for this conversation. Tell us what kind of business that you're in. I do real estate investing. So I buy and hold long-term single family and small multifamily all here in the Wichita area as of now, Wichita, Kansas. Love it. Yeah. You're a Wichitian. As, as I've dubbed over the years, one of my franchises in Wichita. One of the craziest things about Wichita that I learned many years ago is that everybody, for the most part, drives about five under the speed limit. Depends on what part of town. But <laughs> we've got a pretty active police department and they'll keep you honest. I, it was the weirdest thing coming from Kansas City and exploring the area. I was on the east side. I was on the west side looking at spots to put a franchise. And everybody's just out for a Sunday drive. And it's Tuesday. It's Thursday. I'm like, what is going on here? It's crazy. Every time I go down there, it's nuts. We're a pretty big, small town. It is. It really is. You want to talk about a big, small town. You're near a, a million people, probably 700,000 people. I think we're right over five with the Metro. With the, Yeah. Okay. So with, uh, with all the surrounding areas and such, you've got a lot of people, but it's very much a, a, a town still. Yeah, absolutely. How does that play into real estate for you? Is that, a, is that more because you got to be more relationship-based with that kind of feel? Or are you more east side? Are you more west side? I know there's a huge divide. There is definitely a divide. It's pretty much two different cities. Each side has everything they need. Uh, it's kind of a little rivalry, but I'm pretty central in where I invest. So I've got a lot in the near downtown in the heart of Wichita. I think sure. Wichita state area. And then really, if I can get to any rental within five to seven minutes of downtown Wichita. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the downtown, uh, there's quite a bit of infrastructure being put down there. And so is that why you're staying in that area long-term for, for your properties? Really, it all starts with that's where it was affordable. So I got my foot in the door eight years ago, bought my first fourplex. It was near downtown in an area that I would not be interested in investing in today, but it all started with that because I could afford it. And I was limited to yeah. where I could buy because of how much capital I had available. And that kind of started it. And really, I just like having things central. And it's really a market that's affordable and makes sense and has a lot of demand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we even just were talking off air a little bit just about the general just feel people in, in that city. It's just, 
a down to earthness that I just so appreciate and a likeness, even the team that I have down there is just, I would consider them family, just really good people. Do you find that in the real estate space there as well? Yeah, absolutely. It is a very tight knit market for who invests here. Obviously like any city our size, we've got people, groups out of the coastal areas coming in, starting especially more in the last few years, but everybody that does business in Wichita and lives in the area knows everybody else in the real estate business. So if you have rentals, you know, everybody else who has rentals, if you're doing flips, you know, everybody else is doing flips. It's a pretty small world, which I enjoy. I really enjoy the personal aspect of knowing people, being able to call, text somebody when you need something or making deals happen, just fall into your plate because people know you're honest and like working with. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. That carries a lot of weight in business. But I think that as Midwestern guys, not that we take it for granted, but I think that I think we it happens naturally in a lot of the things that we probably are doing. And we don't know that's it's not a normal thing for guys outside of the Midwest. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's a, especially in a smaller community, I hear podcasts or know people that invest in other areas and they talk about the way they might treat somebody when a deal starts to go sour and it amazes me. And I know that we're different in a smaller community, smaller market, but I think we would never treat most people that we do business with that because we're going to see them at the next real estate meetup. We're going to see them at dinner and we're going to do deals together. So I think there's just a different vibe, different relationship that we all have together here. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to ask you, obviously, you've been very specific in the way of how you're investing, specifically that you're holding long-term, all this very clear direction that you've given to us. My, my question to you is why? What's your purpose? What's the bigger picture for you? For me, the biggest picture is the legacy of what I'm able to do with the hard work, what comes out of it, the family aspect. If you can make millions, billions, whatever the number is, whatever your goal is, to me, it doesn't really mean squat. If you don't have the free time and you don't have the ability to spend that time with the people around you, it doesn't really matter if you've got five boats and an airplane, if you don't have the time or the family around you to enjoy those with. So those are my kind of why and giving back to the community. I probably overextend myself to a pretty large level of <laughs> measurement by being involved with things in the community. I like to give time. And that's kind of my goal in the future is that retirement or whatever that definition of retirement is, yeah. is being able to spend more time with my family, being able to have more time to give back to the things that I think are important in my community and making it better around us. Yeah. I, mean, I love both of those answers. I think legacy plays in to the family deeply for me as well. And then the community, it just, it makes me think of just really the difference. We talk about this in gathering the Kings and mastermind groups, but the difference between the warrior and the king, a lot of times is the recognition or the acknowledgement of the additional responsibilities around us. The warrior can only be concerned with the left and the right, where the king has to have a much bigger perspective, which includes the community, includes your family, of course, or the impacts of the people on your team or your church or whatever. So I, I resonate with that second part that you gave as well. Tell me, like we were talking off air for a little bit there and we were talking during the pandemic, you're doing a different job and your one-year-old at that time was walking around fun stuff, but why real estate or how did you get started? Give us kind of like the picture here of how it all came to be for you. Sure. So growing up, my dad had rental property. He had a number, probably 50 at one point pieces of rental property. So when I was a kid, my dad was around a lot. He spent a lot of hours working, but he also made a point to be there 
when it counted. He was all of our ball games, all of our functions, wow. but there were a lot of nights where work had to be done. And I get that now, especially that I've got projects that are very similar to what he was doing 20 years ago. Um, yeah. But I remember for us family dinner, multiple times, we'd go pick up a bucket of KFC chicken and we'd go down to an apartment complex and we would eat it in a renovated or being renovated apartment. We'd just sit on the floor and that was family yeah. dinner. So that's where I got my start or idea that okay. real estate was something you could do full-time and create passive income. So that, that's where I got my start. And then I moved to Wichita. My wife is from after college and I talked her into buying a fourplex that she had zero interest in at the time. Thought that was crazy. And it probably uh, was because we did not have, we did not have any money to spare. We figured it out. Right. And, and that was our first deal here in Wichita. Wow. Okay. And so uh, tell me about the conversation there between you and wifey. Obviously she wasn't down, but like, how did you pull that deal off with her feeling that way? Looking back, I don't know exactly how I was able to get her to see the good sides of it because her family did not have rental property. And it was that kind of the idea that most people would have, oh, rental property. I don't want to get 12 AM phone calls and unclogging sure. toilets and people tearing up rentals. But I think the numbers don't lie. She's very numbers oriented. I'm Okay. The, the black and white on paper, that's where things make sense. And for me, it's yeah. big picture, 10,000 foot. So like, ah, we'll figure it out. We'll make a way. And yeah. which really evens us out well. But I think that's probably where I was able to make sense to her that look at on paper, yeah. this is what rents are. This is what your outgoing expenses are. And it makes sense. And we didn't have, like I said, we didn't have any money. So I think that was a pretty big deal to have an extra thousand bucks a month out of something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you look back at that decision? Cause that really, like you said, that was your start. Obviously you've done lots since then, but that was the catalyst. It got her on board. It took what you knew your dad doing into like now, okay, I've done it for myself. Looking back, if you hadn't done that deal, would you still be where you are or would it have been slower? Would it have been different with your wife? Give me some feedback. There's zero chance we'd be where we're at now. One, wow. just because of dumb luck of we started in 2013, 14, 2013, buying stuff was cheap. You could find contractors that wanted and needed work. If we'd have waited until now, almost 10 years later, market's way more expensive. It's much harder to find contractors that are going to work for someone, especially a first time. Uh, so there's zero chance we'd have been able to scale if we wouldn't have started in that probably two-year stretch. So a lot of it was just yeah. dumb luck that we were fortunate to start at that time. Yeah. And so uh, is the takeaway from what we're talking about for the listener to just go for it. Is it that simple? Just do it. Don't wait. Uh, I think probably 75% of it is, yeah. Do not get in that analysis paralysis. Obviously you want to make good decisions. It needs to make sense on paper. Sure. Don't make a decision that's going to put your family in a position where you're going to lose your house or worse. But yeah, just you have to be willing to pull the trigger because if you don't, you're always going to regret down the road things you didn't do because things just don't typically get cheaper and cheaper over time. It's going to go the other way. And it's going to make it harder and harder for you to pull the trigger, especially once you have kids taking risks yeah. for the first time, once you've got a family and you've got someone else to provide for, that's a, right. that's a risk that I'm unfamiliar with compared to starting when it was just us. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Let's get into, as you've been growing this thing and scaling this thing, what was a good decision that you made along the way that outside of getting started, that has really enabled you to be where you are? The best decision outside of just getting started was quitting my job in 
November 2020 and going full-time and just making the decision that we're going to do this full-time. That's the only way we're going to be able to scale. That's the only way we're going to be able to take this to the next level. And that was a really good decision that we made. And that didn't come lightly, I'm sure. I, I, you know, you're in the midst of COVID, you're working from home, you, you said. You're working for a company, you're doing Zoom meetings, all the fun stuff. Your son's look, learn, learning to walk in the midst of you doing Zoom meetings for work. Why in that moment? Was it just, okay, enough is enough? Was it, what, was the, what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah, so I think it's a two-part answer. One, so my previous job, I worked for the United States Senate. Things changed drastically with COVID. Yeah. The job, I went from a job where I traveled a lot and I was meeting with people a lot and I get a lot of fulfillment out of, being face-to-face and having those relationships. No matter what I was doing, that was going to be a difficult thing for me over COVID doing this kind of Zoom meeting seven days a week, five days a week. And then what I did in my job, I worked on a lot of military and veterans affairs. So when COVID hit, obviously I still had those things to do, but then I was overnight along with all of my colleagues trying to become experts on things that we weren't familiar with or maybe even interested in. So it was a part I was ready to take our business to the next level and part I was just burnt out of what I was doing. And really, I'd kind of lost my love at that time for being involved in politics. Yeah, yeah, I understand that for sure. Okay. And so you hit the scale button and you left and you haven't looked back. What have you done along the way, flipping the coin here to a bad decision that's just been uber rough? Wish you could change it. I don't know that I wish I could change it because I think I probably learned more from the bad decisions. Not I think, I guarantee I learned more from the bad decisions than anything good. Yeah. But when we had just started, we'd probably been doing this for a year and I would go to auctions and they'd auction off 20, 30, 40 houses in one night. And I'd go look at the ones that I was interested in and hopefully bid and maybe win a couple of those or one of those. And there was a sixplex that I didn't go look at. I had no knowledge of what it was like, only the pictures online from the marketing material. And it was really cheap and nobody was bidding on it. So I was like, that's too good, too good to miss. So I just bid on it and ended up buying it. And then I remember two days later, I met the auction company out there to do my walkthrough after I'd already paid my earnest money that was non-refundable, which I might also have was double what I thought it was because I didn't do my research. So all of these things were just like making me more and more anxious. And then we get inside and it was just 10 times the project that I expected. So then I'm realizing this is why this property Nobody was bidding on it because it's a big project. And again, I go back to, we did not have the capital to handle a project that size. My wife was helping me a lot at the time. So we were spending hot, sweaty days like today, working in this gross, dilapidated apartment building. And it took a lot of the wind out of our sails for probably six months to a year. Slowed us down, but we learned a lot and eventually we made it work, but it was a a tough lesson. And so what the lesson that I'm pulling out here, tell me if I'm wrong. You already said no, don't analyze paralysis type of a thing up front, but maybe just do a little due diligence. <laughs> yes, a little. At least do some. I had not even At driven least some. by this place. Yeah. Yeah. And even then you could have driven by, you could have walked through. And then when you ripped up the first layer of the flooring, find out that there's so much more. So there's always the possibility. That's why you can never overanalyze it. But the lessons that you've learned out of that, I'm going to guess that you and wifey figured out a whole lot of lessons inside the house. Like your household, yes. <laughs> out, even just not even lessons counting ones that you learned in business in the marriage. 
Yes, absolutely. Just a lot of getting through stress. So many lessons on how we tackle projects on our own, how we handle that. There was zero time for probably five or six months where we had an evening at home. It was just right. every day after work, go and you'd work until nine or 10 o'clock, go home, go to work the next day, rinse and repeat. So yeah. we learned a lot, but it was a great lesson that made us better. What would your wife say now about that time frame? Because I think, and I'm going to preface this because I think a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening, they have a wife or maybe they're female and they have a husband that's on the other side of whatever business that they have. And <clears throat> the driver, the pusher that's in you and I, or the person that's listening, like that's never going to change. We're going to keep making decisions like this that keep pushing us forward. And it's going to keep challenging us. And there's going to be moments where you're eating the KFC bucket of dinner inside the sixplex because guess what we're doing tonight? And we've been knowing that we're going to do this every night until it's done. But I guess my question now, what would wifey say now about that time frame? Because you mentioned that it was just a short period of time, even if it had been six months or even a year, there's like communication that went into that. You were in alignment. You were on the same page. Cause if you weren't, you probably wouldn't be married. Yeah. What would wifey say about that time frame of life now? Hey, Chaz Wolf here. As many of you know, I have been on an absolute mission to help entrepreneurs from all across the country in many different industries level up their game and grow their business and intentionally connect with other entrepreneurs. We do that obviously through the podcast, but we also have a peer-to-peer -peer mastermind group specifically for seven to nine figure business owners. We are bringing some of the best and most successful entrepreneurs and minds together in a regular and super intentional way to not only grow our network, but to be able to leverage. And at a certain point in business, success becomes about leverage, leveraging time, leveraging resources, leveraging key relationships. This is exactly what we're doing inside of the peer-to-peer -peer mastermind group called Gathering the Kings, specifically for seven to nine-figure business owners. So if that's you, if you're ready to level up your seven to nine-figure business even to the next level and get around other big hitters just like you, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com, fill out a short application, and uh, it'll come to an application uh, call with me and I want to chat with you to see if it might be a good fit. Talk soon. I would guess that initially she would probably say, oh my God, I can't believe we did that. That was <laughs> brutal. That was a long six months or however long we did that. But I think she would probably think for a second longer and probably say the same thing as me. I'm glad we did it. We found a way to make that deal work and it worked financially and it helped take us to next steps in knowing what we're good at, what we're not good at, how you better leverage your capital. So I think that you'd be probably on the same page as me. We both hated doing it at the time, but we got a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective. And just for the listener here, just to pull something out for you guys, the baseline here is that they're doing it together. And so I'm sure that there was some frustrations and some back and forth conversations, but the reality of it is that as entrepreneurs, it's going to be like this. I'm a decade in, eight companies, I've bought, sold, purchased, closed, you name it. <clears throat> and the conversations that I have with Julie have got to continue to be around, hey, here's where we're going. Hey, here's the expectation. Hey, for the next week, I'm not going to be available until this time. Or hey, this next week, we're gonna, I'm going to manipulate my schedule so we can have some afternoon time with the kids. Or it, if you're not communicating, if you're not like genuinely trying to get into alignment with each other, it's just not going to work because as entrepreneurs, we're crazy. Let's just be honest. What you did there buying that place, that's crazy. But you love it. I love it. And we're going to do it again. We could talk about how crazy it was and how intense it was, but it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again and again and again. This is what we do. 
And so my encouragement to you as a listener is just to get on the same page, get in alignment with your spouse, because otherwise, otherwise you're going to be constantly tied up in the craziness as opposed to free. Because your wife now knows, she knew then you were crazy, but she really knows now that you're crazy, but she also knows that you're going to figure it out. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you learn a lot from each other in those because she learned all those things. And I didn't learn it at that point, but I learned while we were doing those first few projects that she was all in, even though she was apprehensive to jump in and make that first purchase. Once we closed, that was not just my problem. That was our problem. And she would come and paint and she was putting up ceiling fans, changing outlets. She was a hundred percent in because she had to be, and I had to be, and we made it work. I love that, man. Such a great story. Okay. So tell me about a process or a discipline that you guys have now as you're analyzing deals or just making decisions. You've given me the good, the bad. Tell me what you do now with decisions. Uh, so going back to that auction process of how we bought that property years ago, now I've developed a process in how I go look at whether it's an auction property or a wholesale deal or something that's listed on the MLS. I do due diligence before I go look at it. I make sure that it checks all the boxes so I'm not wasting my time to go look at it uh, because you know that happens. You'll think, oh man, I've got to jump on this and I have to go see it right now. And then you go look at it and it's nothing like what you expected or nothing what the pictures look like. Or maybe you read something in the disclosure later after you've already wasted your time looking at it that excludes it from what you want to do. So I think doing that quick due diligence, it doesn't, you know, sometimes it takes five minutes, but that's a super valuable five minutes. So you don't spend two hours doing something that provides zero worth to you. And then after I I go look at a property, I've got another process of going through, plugging everything in, just I handwrite notes as I go through, but I've got a checklist. So I make sure I check everything because going back to the point of wasting time, yeah. I've looked at houses and like, it's time to, to pull the trigger and write an offer or bid on it at an auction. And I'm thinking, man, did that have a new roof on it? I don't remember. And I can't go off of the seven month old Google maps, making a decision that big. It's just a process. You make sure you check all those boxes and make sure that you're totally understanding what you might be getting yourself into. Yeah. Yeah. And probably the underlying thing that I'm taking away from you is again, you, we've kind of got this balance of analyzing, but then it not like a causing delay. And actually what I heard you say is that you created these processes so that you can go fast. Yes. And it's not actually so that you can overanalyze and get stuck. It's so that, Hey, look, if I know what I'm checking every single time and I got the checklist in front of me, if I'm thorough, then I can go fast. I can actually get it done faster, which may allows you to do more deals. Yeah, absolutely. Because once I fill out that checklist and I have a good understanding of how much something's going to cost, not only the initial purchase and then capital improvements after that, but then I have a number that just you add and subtract, put them all together and you've got, okay, that's my maximum purchase price. I'm going to pay for that. That's in this market. I've had to adjust that a little bit, but you're prepared going into an auction where things are moving extremely fast and you're working with pretty big numbers. And now you, you have your your limit. And you've got to realize that stick to your limit. You've got it for a reason. And it's, it's going to be much more valuable that you stick to things on paper and not let your emotions say, Oh man, I got to be competitive and I've got to win this bid. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Staying out of the emotions, staying to your checklist, to your box, help you make good decisions. That's for sure. All right, Mike, we're going to transition to the speed round. I got a question for you around metrics. I want you to dwindle the entire business down. Of course, you got the buying, you're renovating, you're holding, you have tenants, like all these angles of the business. I want you to dwindle it all down into one trackable metric for me. 
What is it? Time. Time is the only metric to me that really matters out of all of those things. I can make more money next year. I can make more money next month. I can spend less on the next remodel. Sure. And when it comes to money, that's something that it's, there's more available. There's more out there, but there's, I'm not going to get the time back. I'm not going to have another chance to be with my two month old kid or my three year old kid. And because at any age, there's, we're not going to get that time back. So time is the only metric that really means everything to me. How do you track it now? So is it like, do you have a certain amount of time you're trying to spend with the kiddos, with the family? You're only working so many hours. Like, how are you measuring that? So I don't necessarily measure it. It's more of a, I very rarely work past five o'clock anymore. There's almost zero work time unless it's an emergency from 5 p.m. till bedtime. And with little kids, bedtime, if it's at 7.30 or eight o'clock, by the time you get home from a five o'clock work day, you've got two and a half hours of your kids. So you better use it really well. So I make sure that I'm home almost every day by that time so I can be with them. And then I make sure that I'm hardly ever working on weekends anymore because that same reason just can't get that time back. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. And what book would you recommend that a six figure business owner or someone who's in real estate, who's maybe just getting started, what would you recommend for those guys who are trying to scale their businesses? Yeah. So Two recommendations. One is probably the same that almost every business person would recommend, definitely in real estate, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, by Kiyosaki. That's just got a lot of lessons in just business and life. The other book I would recommend is written by a guy from Wichita, not a very well-known book in my mind. It's Risk Only Money by Jack DeBoer. The root of that book, he was very successful. He did a lot of really impressive things as an entrepreneur. But at some point in his life, he realized that He had made lots of money, but he had alienated himself from his friends and his family. And it didn't really matter. He had a private jet that he could go anywhere he wanted. But if he didn't have anybody to go with him that actually genuinely wanted to be a part of his life, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's huge. What do you think? So many different angles. I want to go with that. What was the takeaway from the book around what was he after? Why did he get himself into that place? What was he? What did he think that he was going to get? I think it was just the, it's the same thing that probably both of us and anybody else who's been in business with, it's chasing that dollar. It's chasing the next cool thing, the the beach house, the plane, the boat, whatever it is. It's really easy to put making money ahead of your relationships and the people around you. Yeah. So big. And just to give some encouragement to the, to listener as well. I love what you said about the time with the kiddos done that same thing for a long time. I put my kids down to sleep every night. We're just now starting to transition trying to take, I'm trying to take some afternoon hours for some family time. So we're going to see what it looks like here in a couple of months when we transition, but trying to do some, uh, trying to do some daytime daddy daycare. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'm a unique, I'm a unique figure where I have, I've determined I have two flow states. So I usually in the evening, I get ramped back up my ideas and my focus after I can put the kids down. So we're going to try to see if we can facilitate a daytime and an evening flow state with a family time in the middle. So that'd be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? Uh, yeah. So I, I do a lot of networking and it's not necessarily with the purpose of building business relationships that are going to, to pay off somehow for me. Sure. Um, I think it's just making sure you organically are around the right people. Make sure that you're hanging out with people that you want to be like, or they, they set an example that is somewhat um, what you want to be, whether it's financially or the way they are involved in the community or the way they treat their family or whatever it may be. So I work pretty hard to just make sure I'm around people that 
are somewhat like-minded or align with me somehow. So I, I attend a lot of real estate luncheons, networking events, and we've got a pretty pretty good community here in Wichita where we get together once a month and sometimes there's 50 or 75 people. And then I spend a lot of time in civic organizations that I think do a lot of that for me too. Yeah. People that have zero commonality with me as far as working in the real estate realm, but sure. they're people that care about where they live and they're people that work hard in their business that might be a hundred percent different from mine, but we all have pretty similar goals. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Last question here for you. If you lost it all, everything that you've been building in the last decade, what would you do? I think that I would, I'd reach out to those contacts that we were just talking about. I think that you find out who your friends are when you get in a place like that. And yeah. the people that know who you are and they understand what kind of person you are and your drive and your, your character, they're going to be the ones that make or break you at that time. And it's going to be all because of the way you acted when yeah. you were on top. So I would, I'd reach out to those people and remind them that I'm still the same guy and try to figure out where my next step is, whether it's going back to getting a job or borrowing capital from people or partnering or who knows what it is, but yeah. going back to those people that hopefully you treated right previously and making your way back upward again. Yeah, no, you're so right. The relationship means everything. And it goes, it ties back to what you were just saying a little bit ago, as far as networking, it's not just networking necessarily under the next deal. It's networking for the sake of I'm a good person. There's other good people out there. I need to meet them. And maybe we do a deal together. Maybe we don't, but at least I've made the connection. Now I can begin a relationship with this person. Yeah, absolutely. I think most people in business would agree that a lot of time you're not investing money or time in a business or a cause because the numbers make sense right. because you've got a lot of faith in the person that's doing it. And you believe that whatever they do, it's going to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think guys at a high level desire to be that. I want my clients to think that way about me. I want my team members to think that way about me. I want people that I meet through a podcast to think that way about me. So like, I think that everything that you just described character wise is what we're after as well. I think that's the basis of, of it pressing in to those relationships. You've been extremely valuable, Mike. You've given us mindset here. You're a, you're a young guy with some moves. You've got a young family. You're prioritizing them. I'm just so thankful for guys like you that I can run with. I am curious. So how can the listener connect with you? They want to get to know you better. Maybe they want to do a deal with you even. Sure. Yeah. Well, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, reach out to me on any of those. I've sent my information over to you. I'm, I imagine you'll yep. have links for those. Yep. But look me up, Google me, and you'll find me. That's awesome. I appreciate your willingness to be available. And of course, man, I love real estate. I love legacy. We're cut from the same cloth in that regard. We wish you nothing but success in your future projects. Hey, I appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1000 Kings specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling Kings 
who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.